Father God, I pray uh, for your presence in the house today. I pray that you would fill up the family. I pray uh, that you would uh, appoint us on the paths that we should walk this week. I pray that you would give us generously of your spirit today. I pray for a harvest of the fruit of the spirit in our hearts. I pray for faith and boldness and forgiveness and freedom in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would raise us up with defiant joy and relentless purpose in the name of Jesus. Everybody says, Amen. Uh, I don't know what you were doing while I was away, but this morning we're going to continue our sermon series on the life of this guy named Paul, who was kind of a big deal in the history of the early church, wrote most of the New Testament, and uh, planted more churches and evangelized a greater swath of the earth than any other individual ever has. And today we're going to talk about uh, particularly um, the great kingdom virtue called resilience, or as we like to say at Blue Water, bounce. I think to excel at life, and in particular to excel at life in the kingdom, you must get great at navigating mixed results. You have to be able to handle mixed results in life. I mean mixed results. I mean, you know, good results and bad results mixed together. Because one of the great truisms of life is that really that's how life happens. Uh, There is good and bad together. Um, Some years ago, um, I was uh, very active in the martial arts uh, community. Uh, I, I was in... I was in what was called a mixed martial arts dojo before there was that term, mixed martial arts. I started on the south side of Chicago, and um, <clears throat> uh, we did uh, a lot of karate, but a lot of grappling and stuff like that. And there was, a, uh, there was a, a sensei in the south side of Chicago, this little guy, uh, sensei uh, Charles Barron. I know he won about 145, 150, and he was like a multiple world silver medalist in full contact karate. Uh, but he made his living uh, fighting underground cage matches back in the day before any of it was organized. There was no UFC or anything like that and, uh, and no weight classes. So he would go in, this little guy, and like beat up bigger guys and he'd make like $500 a night and that was kind of, that was kind of how he lived. So we would train with him every once in a while and any time he wanted to, he would kick my butt. Like any time he wanted to sit about this tall and would just wipe me out uh, whenever he wanted. But when a new kid came into his JoJo, into his training program, um, he'd say, all right, first lesson. And, and have you ever done martial arts before? Anybody? Karate or Kung Fu? Did you anything? The first lesson is typically how do you stand or where do you hold your hands and stuff like that. That was not his first lesson. His first lesson that he taught people was, all right, how do you take a punch? Everybody line up, black belts, hit them. And then for the first part of the session, you just get smacked in the face. And, and that was lesson number one. So turn to the person next to you. <laughs> if you're a Blue Water veteran, you're thinking, is he going to do it or is he not going to do it? Because he might do that. He might do it. That was lesson number one. You get punched in the face and then usually take a gut shot and... And if you were a, a black belt uh, on his dojo, you know how to hit somebody so that it hurts but didn't do lasting damage. So, so that was it. You, you got smacked and, and you would hurt. And, and not everybody would survive that lesson. Nobody got hurt, but there's just sort of a, there's an emotional experience that comes with getting hit. And a lot of people can't handle that experience. You know? And that, that, was, that was his point. The first lesson uh, toward uh, 
in being a fighter was can you or can you not uh, take a hit. Why is that so important? Because in any fight, you know, you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to get hurt. And if getting hurt is a huge deal for you, such a huge deal that it knocks you out of the fight automatically, then, then you, you can't win. You know? and, and people train and they train and they train to hit hard in life. You know? they, they train to have good offensive strength. But life hits back, doesn't it? Life hits back, man. Even when it shouldn't, you have to be able to take a, a punch in life. Um, in the immortal words of Rocky Balboa, that great sage of American philosophy, it's not how hard you can hit in life, it's how hard a hit you can take and still keep going. Have you ever seen the Rocky movies? That's, that's what they're about. We talk a lot of Blue Water about tri-culture, T-R-Y, culture. How do you spell faith? Yeah, faith is spelled T-R-Y. Faith is that thing that makes you try stuff, particularly godly stuff. Um, it takes faith to try when you're not sure you're going to succeed. But it takes greater faith to try when you've already failed. You follow me? When you have failed at something, when you have tried and failed, when you have tried and been disappointed, when you have tried and gotten hurt, the ability to try again may be the biggest key to the life of faith. Right there. Uh, and we get to see pictures of try again every once in a while in, in the Bible, in the gospel stories, for instance. And, and they're always my favorite stories because it's a principle with which I resonate so deeply on a personal level. I love that story at the end of the Gospel of John. Uh, it's about Jesus interacting with Peter. Now, Peter let down Jesus big time in the final couple days of Jesus' life. Remember, Peter, Peter fled when things got bad for Jesus. Peter denied that he even knew Christ when Jesus was in the process of of trial and crucifixion. Peter abandoned Jesus. And then there's that breakfast uh, story, if, if you know it, we won't go there today, where Jesus sits down to have breakfast with Peter and, and, and says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And that must have been a very poignant question for Peter because he had just betrayed Jesus in the not-too-distant past. And Peter said, oh, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says again, do you really love me? Yes. Do you really love me? Yes. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. He didn't say, well, why did you do what you did? He said, Peter, are you ready to get back to work? Are you ready to try again? And Blue Water, we call, we call, that, we call that bounce. You know, because you're going to get knocked down. Are you going to bounce back up? You're going to get your feet taken out from, from under you. Are you going to bounce back up? And bounce is one of the great, great qualities uh, of life. In this world, you will have trials and tribulations, Jesus says, but fear not, I have overcome the world. Just because you get knocked down, that, that's nothing. In fact, you know, that's, that's where faith is measured. I mean, that, that's where you need faith, right? You need some faith to try, but you need great faith to try again. Uh, one of the ways I think about it is that, uh, you know, the life of faith 
following Jesus, loving people, that takes sacrifice. It takes a lot of sacrifice. But I don't, I don't know about you, but this is how it is for me. Sacrifice is one thing. Suffering is something different. You know what I mean by that? Like, I can sacrifice to love someone. And if that person turns their back on me, or if I am some other way hurt or disappointed, well, then, then it becomes suffering. Then it becomes frustration. Then it becomes disappointment. Then it gets into my soul, you know. I always have the strength to hit. <laughs> I always have the strength to try. But do I have the faith to take a, to take a blow and, uh, and try again? Sacrifice is one thing. Suffering is another. So in life, how do you handle mixed results? How do you handle frustration? How do, how do you handle the failures and the misses? How do you bounce and, and get back up? I think that a lot of us uh, have lost our way because we've taken a hit in life. We didn't, we didn't survive that lesson. <laughs> you know, it turned out that we couldn't take a punch very well, or at least not too many punches. A lot of us have taken a hit, um, and, and, and because things have not gone perfectly well or are well at all, we got, we got stuck. We didn't have the capacity to suffer. Maybe, maybe we had the capacity to sacrifice, but we didn't really have the capacity to suffer. Um, and, and a lot of us have had very hurtful experiences. We got, we got hit with a, with a knockdown punch. And as a result, we were knocked out. You know, it's the difference between knockdown and knockout. Back to the life of Paul. He had a great calling from the Lord, a great conversion experience where Jesus appears to him out of the sky in a bright light. He came to faith, and eventually uh, the Lord would say of his calling, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You know, it's not just that he's going to sacrifice. He's going to have to really endure. This, this guy is going to have to learn how to bounce. So here's our story for today. Oops, sorry. Uh, the excerpt uh, is in the back of your program. It's also going to be up here on the big board, I think, from Acts chapter 14. This is, uh, uh, I think uh, the sermons while I was gone went a little bit beyond this in the account of Acts. I'm dialing it back a little bit, sharing one of my favorite stories from Acts chapter 14. If you've ever heard me speak about supernatural healing or power ministry, I've probably talked about this passage. But I like the full passage. I'm going to do the full story today. Acts 14, 8 through 23. So Paul and uh, his buddy Barnabas are traveling uh, in, in Greece, they're taking the gospel to Europe, which is kind of a big deal. And they're entering this town called Lystra, uh, which has never heard about Jesus before, never heard about the gospel. This is brand new stuff. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame, this crippled guy. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. So Paul shows up and he's talking on the street corner. This, this crippled fellow listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Cool story. Everybody, thumbs up. Not bad. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in a Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Okay, not the response that Paul and Barnabas were looking for. They think Paul and Barnabas are, are, are gods. Barnabas they called Zeus, 
and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. All right. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. It's almost comedic at this point. It has gone, it has gone sideways, a strange direction. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things, worshiping these idols, these pagan gods, uh, to the living God who made the heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. I am preaching to you a God who, when you really think about it, you already know. This is what I'm offering you. Not, Not this stuff, not this pagan stuff. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. I just wish, I wish I had a YouTube video of that day. That would just be so very interesting. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium, uh, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. So these were cities uh, where Paul and Barnabas had been ministering. Some Jews showed up. Uh, these were non-Christian Jews. These, these were people that did not want Paul talking about God to, to worthless Gentiles, to foreigners. Uh, so, so basically, they're trying to ruin the ministry of Paul and Barnabas, and these Jews are following them around. Great. They have enemies dogging them from behind. So these Jews show up, and they stoned Paul They won the crowd over, and the crowd stones Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. That's taking a punch. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city, in Derbe, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they came back. And also to Iconium and to Antioch, where their enemies came from, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Lots of interesting things in this story. Let's just blow through it really quickly. Uh, I love the first part of the story. You've heard me talk about this before, uh, if you've been around for any length of time. Paul shows up in this city called Lystra, as is his custom. He stands on a street corner, and he starts talking, and a crowd gathers. And it says there was a man there who was lame from birth. He had never walked. I mean, this guy was... This guy was broken. Uh, He was beaten down. He had never walked. And it says, Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. And then Paul says, stand up. And the guy is miraculously healed. Great story. Here's Here's the thing that really fascinates me. Nobody has ever heard about Jesus before in this city. Paul is talking on the street corner. He looks into the crowd, and there's a guy there who has never walked in his life. 
but Paul could see in his face that he had the faith to be healed. My question is this, how did that guy have faith to be healed? What happened? Anybody here have that kind of faith this morning? I mean, you're in a church. This guy was just sitting in a gutter on a street corner in a small township. How did he have faith to be healed? What do you think? Well, all we know about the guy is that he was listening to Paul. So what question does that beg? What in the world was Paul saying that this crippled guy had not just faith, but faith to be healed? What do you think? What? Testimony. Testimony about what, Elton? Jesus healing people. Brilliant. Brilliant. Brilliant adduction, right? Obviously, Paul wasn't just talking about God generally. He was, he was sharing stories about supernatural healings, right? Obviously, because that's the only way that this crippled guy could have faith to be healed of, of his infirmity. Uh, testimonies are so important. If you want to be a minister in the kingdom of God, I'll tell you the number one thing that you need, other than, you know, God. You need stories, you need stories. And if you don't have any stories of God doing very interesting things in your life or in the lives of the people who are very close around you, uh, then, then you are crippled as a minister. You have to get involved with some interesting people and get some interesting stories going because people aren't, um, they aren't interested in what you believe. They're interested in what experiences you've had that have led to you believing what you believe. You need to have personal testimonies. You need to have personal stories. Uh, that should get you into one of our Ohana groups. You should join one of our small groups uh, because they are interesting places in, in all senses of that word interesting. They can be interesting good. They can be interesting bad. They can be challenging, but doggone it, you will get stories. Will you not? Can I hear an amen, people? Who has an interesting Ohana group that they're part of? Interesting. Don't be ashamed. That's what we like. Interesting. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's interesting. I have stories to tell, and that's what you want. Okay, there's that piece uh, of the sermon. You've got to have stories, and, and, and what makes this whole account fascinating to me. It's just the highs and the lows. I mean, things turn around so fast. Paul is, you know, preaches a super successful street corner sermon. He does this incredible miracle. This, this guy who has never walked gets up and, and starts running around, and, and then it, it turns bad so fast. You know, it's like, oh, you must be a god. What, what, what? Where did that come from exactly? How backwater are you people? And they try to sacrifice to them, and then you get this, you know, this hilarious back and forth of the crowd. And, and uh, you know, I, I find Paul's secondary sermon to the crowd really interesting. No, 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 no. You have misunderstand how gods work. Gods aren't like this. It's not, it's not like, you know, we're, we're gods because we showed up and do a supernatural thing. No, there's one God. And, and you actually, you've known him and you've seen him. Think about it. Think about life. Think about life. And that will help you understand the truth about God. That's what he says to them. You know, you've been provided for. Think of how joy comes into your heart. Think about what you think is good. I love that, I love that approach to evangelism. It's like, no, no, no. How, how, how do I know there is a God? How, how might you know there is a God? Think about your life for a second. Just clear your mind and honestly think about how the world works. 
isn't it clear that there was a creator God? That's kind of his approach. Um, he's, he's preaching a universal God now. He's not just trying to evangelize um, Jews who had some one God tradition. I don't know, that's fascinating. That's a sermon in and of itself. Um, but then uh, his enemies show up. Uh, these really religious Jews show up from uh, Antioch and Iconium, and they incite the crowd. <clears throat> what did the Jews say to the crowd to get them to stone Paul to death, which is essentially what, what they set out to do? What do you think the Jews said to the crowd? They had just seen Paul supernaturally heal a crippled man. And by that afternoon, the crowd who had seen it happen are throwing rocks at Paul to kill him. What, what do you think the Jews said? They said that Paul is a Yankees fan. Uh, I resonate with that personally. But no. And I am now doubtful of your salvation, Jameson. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Every day, man. Uh, maybe, maybe that figured in because hatred of the Yankees is a universal sympathy. Uh, incidentally, when you're going through the Bible, what you should do when you read a story, uh, don't just read the story. Ask yourself, what bothers me about this story? And, and these are the things that bothers, bother me when I read these accounts. It's like, what? This is crazy. They just saw Paul do, like, one of the greatest miracles uh, that, uh, of, of which we have any account and, and now they're trying to, they're literally trying to murder him just a few hours later, probably. What went down? That, that bugs me a lot. What do, you, what do you think the Jews said? Think about this. This is how we become interested in, in Scripture. I'm sorry? The, the devil did it. Uh, that... Paul healed this guy through dark powers, and, uh, and you better get rid of him. Could be. Yeah, these, these Greeks probably didn't know, like, the devil as we did, but maybe they mentioned some Greek god that nobody liked. They were what? They were equal to God? Oh, maybe they said, like, well, Paul and Barnabas were trying to convince you that they were equal to God. They were, uh, and look, they lied to you. Maybe they twisted words or something. Maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure. It, it bugs me, but it's, you know, it reminds me of, like, the crowds who welcome Jesus in Jerusalem by waving palms and, oh, the Messiah. And then, you know, three days later, they were like, kill him. Or two days later, kill him, kill him. Um... People are fickle, you know, they can really be manipulated. People don't really think well or clearly as a rule, particularly in crowds, particularly in crowds. I imagine that, that the Jews said something like, um, these guys showed up um, and, uh, and they mocked your culture. They mocked your tradition, didn't they? Right? You came out, you were trying to be nice to them and they shut you down. Uh, they shamed your priests. They have no respect for your culture whatsoever. Uh, are you going to let them get away with that? Look, they've pretty much incited a riot. You know? 
Uh, and I, I think that they might have said something along those lines because that accusation always works. Throughout history, that's always worked. Wherever the gospel has come in, the enemy has counterattacked with, oh, but that's not you. That's not your culture. They're not honoring your heritage. Kill them. And, uh, you know, essentially. Um, so, I don't, that, that's my guess. That's interesting. And then, uh, but the people, in any case, they get so aggravated that they stone Paul until they think he's dead. They left him for dead. Some, some biblical scholars, commentators will say, actually, they killed Paul. And at the end of the story, when it says the believers gathered around him, what they mean is that some believers came around him and, and healed him and essentially resurrected him. So Paul dusted himself off and, and went back to work. I don't know. I kind of think that if it were a resurrection, it probably would have been mentioned uh, because that doesn't happen like every day. Um, but in any case, he probably needed a little ministry. Um, but the most important part of the story, of course, the most impart- important part of the story by far, um, is uh, the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. You know, he got up and went back into the city, and the next day they left for the next town. He got up, dusted himself off, and went back to work. Would you have done that? I know I would have taken the weekend off. Stoned and left for dead. You know, they didn't have Tylenol in those days. He might have had a few aches and pains. Uh, He might have had some scars. Um, But he got up, went back into the city. I don't know, preached another sermon that night. I don't know. And went back to work. I went to the next town where he planted a church, then circled back around, finally planted a church in Lystra, went back to the other towns where there were some haters, planted churches there, strengthened the elders, and all along the way he said, we must endure hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. The dude bounced. The dude bounced like nobody's business. And this, we will discover as we go through account after account in the life of Paul, is what defined him. He bounced. He got knocked down often. This wasn't, this wasn't the only time he got stoned. He would get whipped. He would get flayed alive. And finally, he got his head chopped off in Rome, and that stopped him. Uh, but nothing else did. He was shipwrecked, and we're going we're gonna to circle back to this as we continue the life of Paul. But the dude bounced like nobody's business. They shrugged it off, and Paul was a master at shrugging it off. And I want to be a master at shrugging it off, because in life, it's always mixed results. It's always mixed results. Is this, is this an awesome story of triumph, or is this an awesome story of defeat and challenge? Well, I mean, yes. Yes, it is. You know, wherever Paul went, he got great responses and he got terrible responses. He was met with open love and he was met with extreme violence. Mixed results. That's how life is. He could hit hard and man, could he take a punch. He'd take a punch. And the next day, he just went on with his work as if nothing happened. They build a church in the next city. They come back and they keep at it. Up and down, up and down, but always forward. And the image I have in my mind is the image of the ball that bounces forward. Always bouncing, 
up and down, up and down, the good with the bad, but always bouncing forward. Say, bounce forward. Oh, you're going to bounce, all right. You're going to have ups and downs, but you're going to go forward, aren't you? You're going to stay in the game because that's life. You must endure hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is the order of God on this earth. You've got to bounce. One of... You know, I, Paul, Paul's like the greatest church planner of all time, you know, um, often beaten to the point of death, hated by many people, often hated by other Christians, abandoned by his friends on occasion in accounts that we will read, terribly frustrated. He sacrificed and he, he suffered. Great results are always mixed results. Write it down. It's a truism of life. Suffering is part of the faith journey. It's not God's job to remove your suffering. Um, It's your job to endure it purposefully. One of the great things about studying the life of Paul is that not only do we get these historical accounts of, of his life, but we get all of these letters that he wrote. We call them epistles, and they make up actually the bulk of the, uh, the New Testament. Uh, and, and Paul makes comments as he's trying to train other people in the life. He makes comments. A lot of them have to do with this idea of, of bouncing or enduring. Uh, to the Corinthians, he said in 2 Corinthians 4, Hey, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And that's how Paul conceived of his life. We are mixed. Our results are mixed. But we're moving forward to the Philippians, he said in chapter 3. This is one of those famous memory verses a lot of people have. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead... I press on toward the goal to win the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I forget. I have a short-term memory. I forget, I forget what just happened. I strain toward what is ahead. I have selective amnesia. I get knocked down. I shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it. That, sh- that should be a song. Should be a song. Somebody write that. Do it swiftly. Could go on all day. When, uh, when I return your emails on the occasion that I write back when you write me, I often sign off with the word onward. Uh, some of you have received those emails. Uh, it's one of my favorite words. I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. You write me about things that have happened. I say, I I don't know. Onward. (laughs) Onward. You know, there's an onward attitude in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that the hurts that we receive are unimportant. It doesn't mean that they don't have to be dealt with in their ways. It doesn't mean that you don't have to go through processes of grief or recovery. It doesn't mean you don't have to forgive. It doesn't mean that you have to do the hard work of growing in humility when things go poorly. It just means you have to keep going forward no matter what. It is the key to everything. You're going to get knocked down, but you have to get up. I think it's the most important part of of the story. They got up, and they kept at it. Um, 
Why did they get up, though, is the question. That's what bugs me. It's like, really? What kept you going? We have the saying at Blue Water, in your purpose lies your power. In your purpose lies your power. We talk a lot about purpose. When Jesus calls a person, he always calls that person to a purpose. You don't just get called to believe a certain thing. You get called to do a job on this earth. We're not just waiting around to die and go to heaven. No, life is ministry. Life is purpose. You all have a calling. And that's what should get you up. I think Paul and Barnabas typified this idea. They had a job to do. That's why they got up. It's not like things were going to stop because they were hurting. If you get knocked down in life and you do not have a deep sense of purpose in your life, you will stay down. The key to being bouncy is to have a profound sense of life purpose. Have a profound sense of calling from God. If you do not have a profound sense of life calling, you are not a resilient person. You are not a bouncy person. One of the perverse things that happen in life is uh, you get knocked down and then you start to doubt doubt your life purpose. Life hits you hard, you get really disappointed, you were making a sacrifice, but it didn't turn out as fruitfully as you thought, and then you allow Satan to convince you that you were wrong all along, that the fact that you're suffering indicates that God doesn't really have purpose for your life. And that lie kills more people than any other lie in the world, I think because it prevents you from getting back up. And then you can just, pardon me, bitch and moan about all the bad things that happened to you. And I know bad things happened to you. Bad things have happened to me as well. Life is mixed results. Always, all the time. But if you allow those mixed results to convince you that God is not with you, that your sacrifices are in vain, then you're done. You're done. You're not a bouncy ball. You are deflated. The key to bounciness is trusting in purpose. And boy, you know, Paul believed that. Paul believed that to the depth of his bones. After all, his calling was, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I will show him that he will suffer for purpose for me. God doesn't say to us, I will show you how much you must suffer for what you did. I will show you how much you must suffer because you're an idiot and you screwed up. I will show you how much you must suffer because in the grand scheme of things, I need some designated sufferers. I need some people whose job is just to live in the muck so that everyone else can feel better about their lives. Do you feel like that sometimes? Oh, yeah. Come on. That's where we live. No. Suffering is purposeful, and that's one of the great privileges of the Christian. There is purpose. The whole universe is watching to see if you'll get up or not. Because that's the moment that defines a a person right there. 
or whether you're going to do the hard work of getting back to it. If you're a purpose, if you're a person of purpose, you get back to work. All right. So what happens in my office is that when somebody comes to me and they're demoralized, when somebody comes to me and they're just they're just stuck in suffering, when somebody comes to me in depression, I have a personal vendetta against depression because I suffered through it for so many years. Well, the first thing we talk about is whether or not they understand their life purpose, which might seem counterintuitive. To me, I lead with it. If you, if you say to me, I'm depressed, then I say to you, what's your life for? Well, that's rude. <laughs> no, it's not. It's vital. It's vital. Do you know? Do you know what God has called you to do in life? That's, this is not a side issue. This is the thing that gives you resilience and bounce in the world. Do you know? That's why I'm so committed to talking about purpose all the time. Do you know what work you have to do? Do you know what you have to accomplish tomorrow? Because if you don't, tomorrow will pass you by and you'll sit in bed and watch daytime TV. Do you know what you're up to? Healing may need to happen. You know, grief may need processing for you. You may need to forgive somebody who has done you wrong. That stuff can weigh you down and make it hard for you to get up. More than anything else, you need to know that it's worth it, that you have stuff that God wants you to achieve, that God didn't put you in the world just to suffer. In life, you don't bounce unless you have something to do. Press on toward the goal to win the prize to which God has called me. God has goals for you in this life. Faith is most often a matter of faithfulness, sticking with it, no matter what. Got it? I got to ask, anybody get knocked down in life and, and maybe not gotten up? All right. God bless you if you've come to church for compassion, for care, and for sympathy and help. God bless you if that's you. One other thing that church is going to give you is purpose. There's a sense that, oh, you have to get up. You have to. That's, that's, that's the kingdom of God. That's the order of heaven for you. You have to bounce. So I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and just to talk to, to us individually and... and uh, Maybe the Lord wants to chat with you about ways in which you haven't gotten up. Of course, it's an imperfect metaphor. Maybe you're working really hard in one area of life, but you've totally given up over here because that's where you took the punch. Maybe you're fighting with one hand behind your back because, I don't know, your arm hurts. (laughs) You know, something like that. Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, you would make us a resilient and bouncy people. Uh, forgive us, Lord, for, uh, for not getting back up. Uh, forgive us, Lord, for despising our own calling in life. For giving up on your promise over our lives. We do not despise your calling any more than we despise the calling of Christ to lead us onward. 
Come, Holy Spirit. Deal with us where we need it.